My name is Georgia Renee and I'm a producer. My name is Andrea and I'm a producer. My name is Saruri and I'm a producer. My name is Stage and I am a producer. My name is Tori BLK and I'm a producer. I am a producer. I'm 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 a producer. This is 100 episodes of MPW the podcast with your host Silo Aria. Cool. A podcast about music production for the everyday musician where we learn from experienced studio engineers and each other. Hello everyone and welcome to our 100th podcast episode. Oh my goodness, I cannot believe we are here and so far we have been running now the podcast for four years and it's been such an incredible, incredible journey so far and I remember When I started this podcast in uh, April 2020 was the first podcast episode release. So just talking a little bit about what was happening for MPW around that time. Uh, I actually recorded the first few episodes in the end of 2019. So I was still living in London and I remember I used to run around London uh, in the, in the, tubes and I would be carrying all this equipment on uh, on my back. So I used to carry around my hiking backpack and uh, it would be looking like I'm going for a three-day hike, but I would actually have in there my laptop, my interface, my two uh, microphone stands. And I actually had these two really heavy condenser mics that I was carrying around that came in these really heavy cases. And that was because those were the only two mics that I had. So there were two mics in really heavy cases and that's what I would run around uh, London with and go to different studios to meet our guests. And the great thing about that was I actually got to go to some incredible studios in, in London And I remember one of our first episodes was with Olga Fitzroy and I was recording that out of Air Studios. Another one of our first ones was with Matt Colton that was in Metropolis Studios. And I remember just going to all these different studios and just looking around and feeling so in awe of these beautiful spaces and feeling really lucky that I got to go there and record uh, these episodes. So that was 2019. And at that time as well, MPW was very, very new. So it was only a few months, not even, I guess, in uh, to when I started MPW and it was a intense journey. It was really hard. And I remember I used to work every day. I didn't give myself any weekends off and around that time as well, I started approaching brands for the first time and I remember the first meeting I had with Ableton. So I scheduled a meeting. I actually don't remember how I got the contact of the brand manager in in the UK. And I had a meeting with her and I I won't mention her name because I won't embarrass her. But uh, I remember that meeting that we had and I feel like she was talking to me, probably thinking, who is this person talking about this organization that she's apparently started like a month ago and wants some support from Ableton. And 
I remember at that time, I was like, why aren't people taking me seriously? And, you know, without realizing that it probably looks a bit insane (laughs) from the outside, kind of wanting support from these uh, big brands. But um, a lot has changed in that time. So we had very few students and everything was done uh, just by me, but it's been a journey that has grown and changed MPW to now running our one-year program. We have an incredible, incredible team and some of the amazing highlights have been running our free events throughout the year, whether they've been online with hundreds of people from around the world or in person in London. And we can't wait to bring these to other locations around the world as well. So it's been so, so great. And I want to say a huge, huge thank you to everyone that's been with us through this whole journey. And I appreciate you so much and everything that we do is to support the community that's around us. And we are in turn supported by you and your love for what we do as well. So I'm so glad you're here with us and have stuck with us through to this hundredth episode. And of course, the journey does not end here and we will continue on and continue to grow along with you all as well. So we do have a giveaway along with this podcast. Thank you to the lovely people at SE Electronics. We do have a DCM6 microphone to give away to a lucky listener here. So I will put the details of the giveaway in the show notes to enter and you'll find some more details on our Instagram, but I cannot wait to announce our giveaway winner on Instagram. So do keep an eye out for that as well. So for this episode, I have opened uh, myself up to uh, you all and you have been submitting some questions to me over the last few months. So let's crack right into it and get into the first question. So the first question we had was from Kitty French in the UK and Kitty asked, I'm starting out in music production. How do I build my confidence as a newbie in this field? That is a great question, Kitty. And confidence, I always feel, builds as we build our skill in something. Of course, when we are starting out in something, it can feel like we're not on the right track or second guessing ourselves all the time and thinking, have I done this right or have I not? But if we can learn more about that topic, do some research, find some different resources that you can use, whether it is joining a course or whether it is buying some books or finding mentors that you can learn from as well. And the more you learn, the more your confidence will build and you'll stop second guessing yourself. So that is probably my biggest tip on building confidence as a producer. My name is Shelley Brown and I'm an independent singer, songwriter and music producer. My question is, do people get CDs printed anymore? I'm releasing my new EP on Bandcamp, but should I make CDs as well? That is a great question, Shelley. And I, yeah, I do understand with the CDs, are people still doing that? I think this really depends on your own released strategy. Like, do you 
want that to be part of your marketing. Like people have merch and of course that's how a lot of musicians are making money through merch rather than the sale of music as used to be the case. And if you want that to be part of your offering to your audience and also depends on your audience, like is your audience made up of people that would actually listen to CDs and play them in their cars or something like that. If so, perhaps it's worth offering that. And some people, of course, like mementos, like something physical to be able to hold. So maybe a CD is a good offering. Personally, and I just want to put that out there, I probably wouldn't go for that because for me, it's just an environmental consideration of adding more plastic to the world. And I don't feel comfortable with that. So I don't print any CDs anymore because I feel like if people aren't listening to them and it's adding more plastic to the world, do I really want to do that? And for me, the answer is no. But of course, that depends on you and there's no judgment there. You know, we are all trying to do our best as artists. So if that's something that you would appreciate and that you think your audience will appreciate as well, then go for it. Our next question here was submitted by Ray. So Ray said, I feel like so many industry jobs require experience. Do you have any entry level advice? That is a good question, Ray, and I totally understand. It feels like so many different jobs in any part of the industry need some experience, which is a bit of a catch 22, because how do you get that experience without getting that job? And uh, you can't get the job without the experience. So I understand the frustration. So what I have learned, especially through this podcast and speaking to loads of different people in the industry and different parts of the industry, is that it really is about building that network. And we've probably spoken about this in many different episodes in the past. But one is building that network and secondly is to just put yourself out there and eventually it will happen that you are at the right place at the right time and an opportunity will come your way. For example, I remember one episode we did with a producer who wanted to work in a studio and he had been networking and doing doing all the right things, meeting people and being sending in those days letters to all of these different studios to say that I really want to work here. Are there any jobs available? And for so long, he didn't hear anything back and almost gave up. And at one point he got a call back straight away. And it seems like what happened in that studio is the person who got the job for whatever reason, didn't actually rock up to the job. And they were stuck and they were in real need of an assistant that day. And then that letter just came into the the box on the right day. And they were like, okay, let's give this person a try because we are desperate and we need to find someone. So sometimes in those scenarios, if you do enough of that and enough of putting yourself out there, you'll eventually find that you are at the right place at the right time and you get that opportunity. So there's no simple answer to this, unfortunately, but it is really about continuing to put yourself out there to maximize the chances of the right thing coming through. And while you're doing that as well, just think about how can you build that portfolio as well? Are there things you could be doing yourself before you get that job to have a showreel or a showcase or something that you can show your potential employer, that's going to be relevant in some cases, but not all, but that's something to think about as well. 
My name is Tori Bill K, pronounced black. For someone who has been struggling with compression um, the past couple of months, memorizing the knobs and what the knobs do. And most of all, I have a hard time hearing compression. I think it's very easy for me to hear frequencies like with the EQ. But when it comes to compression, for whatever reason, um, hearing it is very difficult for me. So what types of tips do you recommend for someone who's struggling? Hey, Tori, thanks for your question. And yes, compression is a difficult topic to get around. I get it. It is quite confusing to understand and also hear. So uh, firstly, it's not just you. I feel like a lot of people have that. I definitely did and, and found it really hard and challenging to work out what exactly is my compressor doing. So that's totally okay. So just to quickly go over the main terms that we would be finding in a compressor, and then talking about some tips on how to hear it. But firstly, threshold. So threshold is actually the point where if our volume crosses that threshold, that is when our compressor will start to work. So that's the first thing to understand. Sometimes people will not set their threshold or have their threshold so high that your recording never actually goes past that point. So your compressor isn't actually doing anything. So that's the first thing on the threshold. So when does your compressor actually start to work? The second thing I'll talk about is the ratio. So once the volume of that audio goes above a certain threshold, what is then happening to it? So how much compression are we applying to that sound? So if we want it to go really hard, then we might have a really high ratio, like five to one, 10 to one, something like that, so that any audio that's going above the threshold is squashed a lot. So it's not really a gentle amount of compression that is being applied. Or if you want it to be more gentle, you might have like a two to one ratio so that for every two decibels that your audio is going above the threshold, the compressor is actually reducing it down to one. So it's a bit less drastic. So that is the ratio. The next thing is the attack. And that's essentially how quickly does your compressor work? So if we have a fast attack time, then as soon as your volume goes above that threshold, your compressor will immediately squash that down. So if you're going for like a fat sound and that's what you want to create, maybe you would use a small attack time. But if you are using it on drums and you want that transience to really come through, then you maybe want a slower attack time so that you allow that initial hit of it to go above the threshold and then you start squashing it rather than squashing it straight away. So then that initial feel and transience of the drum beat may be lost as well. So that's the attack. The last bit I'll talk about is the release. So this is how quickly does your compressor go back to not working anymore. So if your release is really fast, then it will kind of squash your sound and open up straight away. So you might have a bit more of an airy sound if you have a 
fast release time. But if you really want it to stay squashed and you don't want the compressor to open up again quickly, then, then you will have a slow release time. Now, these things are a bit hard to explain in a podcast. And we did actually a whole episode on compression, which was episode five. So feel free to have a listen to that. But with all of these things, of course, we do say, listen out for it and try it. And that comes to the second bit of your question, like, how do you actually hear it if you're starting out? Now, one thing which maybe goes against the hearing but can help if you are starting out is to actually print that audio with the compressor applied in different settings. So say you have a drum loop and you apply a compressor to that and maybe you have a really slow attack time and a fast release, something like that. And then you actually freeze and flatten that track or record it into a new track or resample it, whatever way you would go about that in your production software. Then you have a print of that loop with the compressor applied. And often you'll see very clearly what that compressor has done to that sound. So you might see the transients really sticking out and then maybe the rest of that drum loop looking squashed and, and you can see that in the waveform or you might see it looking a bit more like a flat sausage with the different settings that you have. So sometimes that can help you to hear it because you can see it. And then if you know what it's meant to be doing after doing that exercise a few times, then you can sort of not have to see it and, and be able to hear what you are meant to be listening out for. So that is one tip that I can give you, but I will say that this does take a lot of time and practice. So don't be too harsh on yourself and just give it a try and it will become easier and easier as you use it more. The next question we have is from Annalise Gerba. So Annalise asked, what form of learning is worth investing in versus what should I learn for free? Now, this question, Annalise, I like a lot because my attitude to this has changed a lot in the last 10 years, even five years, I would say. And I used to always try and go the free option. I was like, it's all out there. It's all available. So I should be able to learn whatever I want for free. And my attitude to that has changed quite a lot to where I will only try and learn for free if the skill that I'm trying to use is something that is a hobby or that I don't really care about that much. For example, I have some hobbies that I really enjoy doing. For example, knitting or uh, crochet or other types of crafts. Uh, I'm a little bit of an old person <laughs> uh, in that sense. But I like to find a lot of resources that are free to improve my skills there because I don't really have any time pressure. I don't really care about being super good. And it's just something that I'm doing for fun. Now, that is a very different attitude to what I take and have taken in the last few years when it comes to things or skills that I really care about. For example, music skills or uh, business skills or, or other areas of my life that I really want to grow. And now my approach to that is that if I can find 
someone in that field that I really admire, that I respect, that I feel like knows a lot more about this topic than I do, then I am more than happy to invest my money in learning from them. Whether that's a course from them, whether that's from them on a one-to-one basis, because I've realized that the time that you save in learning from someone else is huge. And that time, one, you're never going to get back. And secondly, you could do so much else with it by having the skill much earlier. The other important thing here is that when you are trying to learn for free, which a lot of the times might be learning yourself, is that you don't know what you don't know, right? So if you are trying to learn something, we're assuming that you don't have a huge amount of knowledge in it. So where do you even start with what you think you should know? And what you think you should know may not actually be the thing that you should know. And that is a very hard thing for you to know as someone that is taking their first step in learning that skill. So if you're learning with someone that you trust, you can assume that they actually have a structure in place for you. So you don't have to worry about that. They are giving you a plan and giving you a method to follow. So you're not guessing with the learning process yourself and you are actually having some structure to your learning, which can allow our brain to actually take stuff in rather than jumping from random topic to random topic and hoping that we're taking in the right information. So So yeah, I didn't have that mindset a while ago and I used to always think, okay, if I don't have to pay for it, maybe I am saving something without realizing that if you don't pay the money, then there's probably something else that you're going to lose like time or quality of what you learn. So that's what I'll say about that. And it's totally up to you. Of course, you need to think about your budget and all of that stuff. But I would say if it's a skill that you really care about, that you actually want to use rather than a hobby or something that you're doing for fun, then it's probably worth investing in and investing in yourself rather than trying to muddle our way through and and try to save a bit of money. We also had a question from creative conversation on Instagram. And they asked, what is the minimum to confidently release a song on Spotify quality wise? This is quite an interesting question because I feel like a lot of artists talk themselves out of releasing music because they will often say that they are perfectionists and that they want everything to be exactly right before they get their music out there. And what I have found is that the perfectionism is often just another form of fear. So if they're saying, oh, I can't put it out, it's not done yet, you know, I'm still uh, tweaking these little things. And then, you know, a month later, they're still doing that. It's often because they feel like, If they put it out there, it's going to be judged and then they want to avoid that. So then they'll just keep working on it. So that's an easy trap to fall into. And I understand if you are in that boat. But if you have a song, I would say, firstly, you want to be really happy with it. You want to be proud of it and you want to think that it's it's done and there's nothing else that you can either add or take away to make it sound better. 
without spending months and months on these minor little tweaks that no one is going to hear. So as long as we are getting to a point where it's something that we're proud of, then you've got to think, where do you leave that process? So are you doing the writing and the production maybe? In that case, you will hand it off to a mixing engineer and a mastering engineer. So I would definitely recommend to do all of those steps. Some people have asked me, do I have to get a mastering engineer? I would say, yes, definitely. Uh, A unmastered song will not really at all stand up against a mastered song on all of the different platforms that are available. So we definitely want to get our song mastered. And the mixing, it depends. If you are going to do it yourself, then of course we, we want to do that. But if you don't feel confident about that, that can be a a good thing to hand off to someone else because once you hand it off, then you can't be going in and tweaking and changing things uh, up to no end. So sometimes it's useful to have a point of handoff so that you can actually let it go and get it out there. Um, But if you are doing the mix yourself, then at least the master is probably a good idea to give to someone else rather than doing absolutely everything, the production, mixing and mastering, because our ears get a bit tired as well. And we, by the end of it, after spending hours and hours on this track, can not hear the issues that are going on in the track. So at some stage, it is good to give that to someone else, whether it's a mixing or a mastering engineer um, or both. And if they are someone that has been doing their job for a while, then I would trust for them to know what qualities that they are looking for to make sure that it stands up well against uh, other songs. And then of course, you can do that test as well of getting reference tracks of songs that you like and comparing them to your end product, your mastered file and see how does it sound. Of course, if it's a big commercial track, it might not sound really aligned with that quality because of course they've had thousands of dollars of money and experience gone in there. So don't feel too bad about it, but you want it to hold up. You don't want it to immediately sound, uh, you know, really poor quality or really low in volume or something like that. So I would say once you hand it off to someone, if you can do a test against the reference tracks and you feel like it's sitting well, it's, it's holding its own, then that would be the time to get ready for the release. So If you're still thinking about it, I would say get it out there because we improve our skill with every release as well. And we can't actually do that until we actually let go of the song and move on. Hi, my name is Caitlin from CAS Music. And my question is, what do you find to be the most rewarding part of the work that you do? This is a really lovely question, Caitlin. And it's very easy for me to answer. The thing I find most rewarding is when we see students that first join us or I'm kind of having an initial chat with them and their confidence is really low. They're second guessing everything that they do. They're thinking, you know, can I do this? Can I not? I'm not a techie person. Can I even produce? And then we start working together and they start learning the skills. And then we get to the end of the time that we're working together. That's often a year. And the transformation that I see in those students is 
so, so rewarding. And when I see them feeling confident and sometimes they won't even realize it. They will kind of be chatting to me or in a group setting and be throwing out all these, you know, production technical terms like it's nothing, like they haven't even had to think about it and it's so natural for them to use. That is incredible. And then I point it out and they're like, oh my God, I have come so far. I didn't even realize. And that confidence just leaks into so many other areas of their life. And there's people that have said, you know, even from learning to produce, somehow I'm getting all these gigs. I don't even know how that's happening or all these other random opportunities are coming my way that I wasn't really hoping for, but it's, it's kind of just happened organically. And I do really feel that as we are growing our skills, growing our confidence, people can see that. People can see that around us and they feel that vibe. And people want to work with people that are positive and confident and happy. And it's not surprising to me that other opportunities seem to come their way with that self-confidence being built as well. So that is something that I love to see and makes me so, so happy. So that is my all time favorite thing about my job. So once again, I just want to say a huge, huge thank you to all of you, all of our incredible listeners. Thank you for staying with us for a hundred episodes. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And the podcast for me is not even a job. It's something that I am lucky enough to rock up to do with amazing guests on the other side. And thankfully, after COVID, everyone is able to record remotely. So I don't need to lug my heavy equipment around to do this anymore. And it's so fun. And I have learned so, so much throughout the process. So thank you again. And I can't wait to continue to share the journey with you all and looking forward to seeing you at episode 200. Thanks everyone.